0: That's just good stuff this morning. Well, good morning, Harvest. I'd like to welcome everyone this morning. Haven't been up here yet. If you're a guest, welcome to Harvest. I hope you enjoy your time with us today. But I would encourage you to get a Bible open, turn on a Bible, whatever way, whichever way you prefer. But get to John chapter 18. We have, um, I think, if my notes are correct, um, this is my 64th message in the book of John. Okay? <laughs> And so, and, and if you look at your Bible, we got a few more chapters to go. So I got a few more messages to go, but we have been working through the book of John chapter by chapter, and we are in John chapter 18, verses 28 through 38, and we are talking about, once again, the truth of Jesus. Um, this week, I started thinking about, um, I don't even know how to really word this to make it sound like sensible to you, but in my mind, it made sense. Um, can you think of famous uses of the word truth does that make sense let, let me give you an a, a, an illustration and then from there i'm going to see how many of you can jump off of that back in the 40s that doesn't tell me how old i am but back in the 1940s and 50s there were actually a game show a game show called truth or consequences truth okay um, can you think of any famous known truths of the word truth that was used that's one anybody what do kids play Truth or dare, man. All right? There was also another game show back in the 40s and 50s called To Tell the Truth. All right? Um, if, if you... Now, it may be different um, today in a courtroom, but if you remember, it used to be when you were a witness, you sat down and raised your hand and put your hand on the Bible, and you would say what? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God. All right? All um, right? This is going to date me. Um, how many of you remember back in 1992, famous movie, um, Few Good Men? All right. So you already know where I'm going with that. All right. There was a scene at the very end of the movie where Tom Cruise is a defense lawyer defending his clients. Jack Nicholson, you know, a Marine colonel is on the sand and, and, and Tom Cruise is trying to get the truth out of Jack Nicholson. He's trying to get Jack Nicholson, Nicholson to confess. He, he, he called the order that, that caused this young Marine to die. And Tom Cruise is going at him. He goes, I want the truth. And Jack Nicholson looks at him. He goes, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> truth, okay? A lot of famous truths. Well, here's the thing. The Bible even has verses that are, would be considered famous truth verses. Can you name one? That's one. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, there's another famous one that's even quoted in movies. John 8, 32. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, in our text today, there's also another famous truth. If you look at verse, starting with just verse 37, I just wanted to set this up before we go into it. But in John chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate is saying this to Jesus. He says, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. And here's the famous line, what is truth? truth. That's where we're going today again, gang, is truth. Jesus is once again talking about this thing called truth. And in fact, this has been a topic that we have seen nailed time and time again in the book of John. And in fact, the word truth is actually mentioned in over 60 different verses in the book of John. That's how many times I have mentioned the the word truth As we've gone through the book of John and we've said it, I've preached messages on this topic. Truth, truth, truth. But here we are again in Jesus's final moments of his life. He's not pleading for mercy from Pilate. He's not saying, I'm I'm innocent. He's not saying, here's what he's saying. Truth. He's declaring truth again. He's declaring, I am truth, and what I have said is truth. He's going down, kicking and screaming about one thing, truth. Truth, that he is truth, and what he has said is truth. And so, here we are again with a message about truth. And so we want to look at three things about the truth of Jesus. And here's the first thing that I want us to see about the truth of Jesus. And it's this, the truth of Jesus infuriates. The truth of Jesus infuriates. So starting with me, if you would, look at verse 28. It says, then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. The Jews would have been all these religious leaders in Jerusalem at this time. It would have been the Pharisees and the elders. It would have been just the the legal team. It would have been all these Jewish leaders doing this. It is now early Friday morning. The religious trial is over. Now it's time for the civil trial. And these religious leaders are moving Jesus from Caiaphas, the high priest, to now the palace of the Roman governor Pilate. And it says, by now it was early morning. It's Friday morning. And to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. Now, when it says they wanted to eat the Passover, that is not the literal Passover meal. That was on Thursday night. When it says they wanted to eat the Passover, you got to remember that Passover led right into the Feast of Unleavened Bread. All right? And so the Passover was eaten on Thursday night. And then on, on, on Friday, there was a celebration again, another meal eaten right in connection with Passover to start the week-long Feast of Unleavened Bread. So it's all one thing. But it's not what they say about eating the Passover. It's what they said right before. We won't go into the palace of this wicked, pagan, Gentile governor because we don't want to be unclean, spiritually unclean. Because we want to be able to eat our Passover meal. Well, here's the problem with this. Um, the, the, the hypocrisy is just oozing out of this. Because these guys, these religious leaders, are about as unclean as you can get right now. Because the reality is, um, they have already put a religious trial in place. They arrested Jesus, took him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And here's what they did. They falsified evidence to find him guilty. All right. In fact, in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, it says the chief priest and the whole council, the Sanhedrin, the the Jewish council, it it was kind of like the the board. okay. and this council was what Jesus was standing before. And so you have all these priests, all these Jewish leaders, and they were seeking false evidence against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none. These Jewish leaders are so bent out of shape about walking into a pagan Gentile governor of Rome because they don't want to be unclean spiritually, but they are oozing with unclean spirituality. Okay, These guys were liars. They were um, deceivers, they were cons, they were falsifying evidence. I mean, if they were in an actual courtroom today, they would be found guilty, all right? But that's who these guys are. And they are like trying to put on their spiritual little robes and going, well, we want to be spiritually clean so we can eat the Passover. And they are filthy spiritually. They don't see their own filth. They want to be able to do what they want and live how they want and put on their spiritual thing to look spiritual. As I thought about that, is it really any different than today? Think about Christians who live like the world all week long. And then we show up on Sunday to get our little gold star. We haven't done anything for Jesus all week. We haven't lived for Jesus in no way all week. In fact, we look more like the devil all week, but I'm gonna go to church so I can get my check mark and just be spiritual. I like how one commentator says it. He says it this way Nothing is more common than, than persons overzealous about rituals to be, to be remiss about morals. There's a lot of Christians. A lot of people who say I'm a Christian who are all fired up about the spiritual, religious ritual I can do on Sunday and don't care about the morals Monday through Saturday. And that's where these guys are. They're more bent about their spirituality versus realizing, man, we are about to kill the Son of God, the Messiah. But these religious leaders are bent out of shape and pretty fired up and angry about Jesus. So in verse 29, Pilate came, He comes out and he asks, he says, What charges are you bringing against this man? In verse 30, they reply. they say, If he were not a criminal, we would not be handing him over to you. And Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him for by your own law. But they say, But we have no right to execute anyone. Now here's the thing. The Jews had a right to execute people. They had a, an Old Testament law that, that said, hey, if people do this, you stone them. It, it gave them a right to execute someone. What they're saying here is this, and this is the irony. They're really saying, well, we're drumming up charges, and we really don't have any evidence for an execution. But, and, and if we were to execute this guy, if we just took him back behind the, the woodshed and stoned him, oh my gosh, we would be in trouble. And we don't want to be in trouble with you or the Roman people in this. So, you know what? We need your authority to kill this guy. That's what they're saying here. They are so indignant and so infuriated with who Jesus is that they are going to all, they're pulling out all stops. Let's go. They hated Pilate. These religious leaders were not buddy buddy with Pilate, they hated the Romans. But the only option was, let's go to Rome. Let's talk to the Romans, man. Let's get their authority to have this guy killed. But why? Why are they so infuriated? Why are they so angry? Well, if you just look back at verse 19 of chapter 18, go back to the previous evening where Jesus is at the the spiritual trial. In verse 19, it says, Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus says, he says, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me about those? Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. Jesus is simply saying, when he was on trial before before Caiaphas and all the religious leaders, he's like, I have been speaking truth, and I've done it openly. I've preached in your synagogues. I've preached on the streets. I've preached in houses. I've spoken to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people only about one thing, truth. And now you want to kill me. In fact, these men were so infuriated with Jesus, it actually tells us in the book of Matthew in chapter 26. It was like mob mentality at this time. It says that they spit on Jesus, punched Jesus, and smacked Jesus. In fact, here in even John chapter 18, after Jesus says what he says, it says that someone punches him in the face because in that guy's mind it was that he was being insubordinate to the the high priest. These people were just unleashing their anger upon Jesus. And the only resort they wanted to see, the only thing they wanted to, the the final condition, this guy's got to die. We've been trying, and we've been trying, and we failed, and we failed. Now we have him, and we're going to do everything we can to kill him. Why? Because they were infuriated with who Jesus was and what he taught. Jesus taught about himself, about God, about what he was about, and and they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear it because what Jesus taught... blue in their face. The things that Jesus taught, the truth that Jesus kept proclaiming, and when he even challenged the religious leaders, it challenged their religious system. The things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus taught, it challenged the religious leaders' way of living. Because the religious leaders, they, you see, they were hypocrites. And Jesus even called them out on that. He goes, you guys are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look really good on the outside, but you are full of dead man's bones, man. You have, you don't know truth. You don't live truth. You don't know religion. You don't know God. And he kept just, that's what the nail of Jesus kept pounding. And these guys didn't like it because it confronted their hypocrisy. Jesus, Jesus, he was like, listen, if you, if you call yourself a religious man, you need to be showing that. And you guys aren't. And he challenged them. The truth of Jesus, <laughs> when it hits our life, it's like a linebacker hitting a, a quarterback. And no quarterback gets up and goes, oh, I like that. <laughs> quarterback gets up and he's pretty ticked off. Because I just got my butt sacked. And when the truth of Jesus hits our life, that's when people get upset, mad, angry about what he says. And the reality is, just as it was in Jesus' day, it has been the same for 2,000 years, and it is the same for us today. The truth of Jesus hits us where we're at. It confronts what we're doing. It confronts how we live. It confronts how we act. Truth goes like a dagger to the heart. That's why Jesus, and and the thing is, just as it was with these men in Jesus' time, it's no different today. When people hear the truth of Christ, when they hear the truth of God's word, it gets people upset. Because it's going to reveal, it's going to unveil, it's going to show you who you truly are. It's going to show your true spiritual condition. And a lot of people don't want to hear that. Because we want to live how? How I want. I want to say what I want to say. I want to be who I want to be. I want to act how I want to act. I want to live how I want to live. And nothing or no one's going to tell me any different. And the thing is, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15, he goes, listen. He's telling the disciples, they're going to hate you because of me. Hate you. They're going to be infuriated with you. They're going to be angry with you because of me. Not because of the person of Jesus or the body of Jesus, but what Jesus has to say. Even the Apostle Paul talks about this, and and, and Paul had... When, when Paul, the Apostle Paul, began to preach the gospel, so many times in Paul's life, Paul was like, Man, every time I'm turning around, somebody's stoning me. Every time I'm turning around, somebody wants to throw me in prison. Every time I turn around, somebody's hating me for something. I'm, I'm saying something about Jesus. In fact, in the book of Tim, 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that He's writing to Timothy. He says, hey, Timothy, be careful, man. He goes, there's this one dude by the name of Alexander. He's a metal worker. And he did some serious harm to me. And here's why, Timothy. Because he strongly opposed the message I was preaching. It's the message. The truth of Jesus infuriates people. And the reality is it's no different today. People don't like And they will oppose the truth of Jesus. And I've said this before in messages. Just try it out. The common common idea in most people's minds today is everybody goes to heaven. Everybody. Unless you're just really, really bad. Hitler, he's in hell. That's what hell's for. But on the general consensus, Grandma June is going to heaven. Even though Grandma June didn't do anything for God. But she's going to heaven. We, everybody goes to heaven because we're all good. But you take the word of God and the truth of what Jesus says, and you tell someone, you go, no, you're not going to heaven because you're good. The only reason why you go to heaven is because you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That's it. I'm telling you, you'll have people look at you like a cow staring at a new gate. And they will cross their arms, and they'll tap their foot and go, you know what, you are so narrow-minded. That's why I don't like Christianity. You're so exclusive. And people get angry at that. You tell somebody that their lifestyle is sinful according to the Bible, and tell me if they will not look at you and go, you are so unloving. You're so judgmental. Why can't you just love people? Because we can't call anything sin today. But the Bible does. Now here's the thing. As I thought about this, it doesn't bother me when unbelievers get mad at me for saying stuff. It really shouldn't bother you because unbelievers are going to do it, okay? Unbelievers don't want to, they don't want to hear what the God has to say. And unbelievers is just going to do what they want to do, live, live how they want to live and say what they want to say. So when they are confronted with the Bible, they're going to look at you and go, I don't care what you have to say about the Bible. I expect that from an unbeliever. You know where I'm going on my next statement? What saddens my heart is when a believer looks at you or a professing believer. Someone who says, oh, well, I'm a Christian. But when you confront them, when you just in love, as, as the Bible tells us in the book of Galatians, speak the truth in love and you go to them in love and you go, listen, I got I to gotta talk to you about this. I see how you're living in it and it's Unbiblical. You're not living right. You're living. It. You got to change. And I am telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, Christians will look at you, and they will yell at your face, because I've had it done to me. And they will look at you and go, "Hey, why are you so judgmental? Who are you to tell me I need to be something different and act? You know what? I'm going to do what I want to do." And Christians get mad. Because you tell them the truth of Christ. The truth of God's word infuriates people. And the saddest thing is, is when believers, I keep putting in quotes, because people who profess to be a Christian and they hear, why do you think people leave churches? They hear a message and like, well, I'm not going to put up with that stuff anymore. And they will slam the door on their way out because they want to go to a church that's easy. Listen, and I, I, I love what Paula said this morning. We sang the song about the love of God, the mercy of God. But the truth is, here, when, when if I'm a Christian and I'm living my life in a sinful pattern, guess what kind of messages I want to hear in church? I want to hear the love of God messages. I, I want to hear where the Bible is more like a seed being planted, I want to hear where the Bible is just going to encourage my faith and build my faith. I want want to hear the Bible taught that that's going to give me hope. Because I can walk out going, wow, God still loves me, but I can still act this way. Christians get mad because there are times where, as the Bible says, the Bible is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. And it divides and it cuts. Last time I got cut by a knife, it didn't feel very good. The Bible acts that way. The Bible tells us that there are times where the Bible acts like a hammer and it has to break rock into pieces. And there are times where the Bible acts like fire because it has to burn the chaff. This message, unfortunately, has to be like a hammer. There's no... There's, there's really no way around it. Jesus is talking about truth. And when you stand for the truth of Christ, when you stand for the truth of God's word, people are going to be infuriated because people don't want to be challenged with where, what, how they're living. They want to do what they want to do. And Jesus is confronting that. And he's hitting that. So the first thing that we know is this, is that the truth of Christ the truth of Jesus infuriates. Here's the second thing about the truth of Jesus, and it's this the truth of Jesus liberates. It infuriates, but it also liberates. So in verse 31 again, Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. And they replied, We have no right to execute anyone. In verse 32, it says, This happened so that the words of Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. One thing that Jesus kept, one truth that Jesus kept talking about and teaching his disciples is this. The Son of Man will be lifted up. The Son of Man will be lifted up. He told people, just as Jonah was in the sea for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the grave for three days and come out. He kept telling people, I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be lifted up. That is the truth that he kept proclaiming. And the proclamation of that truth indicates the lifting up is saying, here's the kind of death I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to die this kind of death. I have got to die on a cross. They will lay me on the ground and take my hands and put them on the on the crossbeam. They will put drive nail in one left hand, a nail in my right hand, and they will drive a nail into my feet. And soldiers will take that cross and lift it up and put it in a hole. That's the death I got to die. Jesus had to die on a cross. Listen to that. He had to die on a cross. He could not be stoned. The, the, the Jews could have executed him by stoning. You, got, you understand that, right? They had an Old Testament because they, they believed Jesus committed blasphemy, equating himself to be God. That is death by stoning. They could have done that, but he could not be killed that way. And you may be, well, why is that, Jim? Why couldn't he have been executed by stoning or any other way? Why did he have to die on a cross? Because the book of Galatians gives us that answer. In the book of Galatians chapter three, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we got to ask the question that what is the curse of the law? The curse of the law is you and me, everybody is a sinner. We all have broken the commands of God. And the commands of God are simple. You break my law, the curse is you die. The curse is spiritual death. All right? Your, our, our, um, the I had the word and I just lost it. ah, Now I gotta explain where I'm going. Heaven is not the, the place where you and I go, okay? Hell is. Heaven is a reward because of what Jesus did. Without Jesus dying on the cross and redeeming us from the curse, the word redeem means to pay. He paid a debt you and I could not pay. The debt you and I had was that we were sinners. And the the, the, the debt is we are lost because of that. Eternally lost. Eternally separated from God. No hope. So hell, eternal separation from God, is the penalty that you and I should have. But Jesus redeemed us from that curse by becoming a curse for us when he died on that cross, that wooden cross, when he it says that he became a curse, that means second Corinthians chapter five, verse 21 says that God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin so we could become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus hung on that cross, he became the curse, he became sin, he took the wrath of God upon himself, he took all of sin upon himself. So that way when you and I, through faith in Christ alone, we are redeemed from the curse. When you place your faith in Christ, not in your works, not in your efforts, not in yourself, but you come to the place where you acknowledge I am a sinner. My sin deserves to be eternally punished because I'm the sinner and there's nothing I can do. What Jesus did on the cross liberates me from that. And I come to the place where I say, Jesus, come into my life. Save me. Be my savior. When I do that, my eternal destination changes without Christ, without Jesus being lifted up, without Jesus dying on the cross, without Jesus doing this. If Jesus and I said this a couple weeks ago, when Jesus was in that garden, he could have at any moment said, I'm not doing this. And he could have said, Father, beam me up. And he would have been gone. And humanity would be lost for eternity. But Jesus did, and he obeyed the Father, and he willingly stepped forward, willingly laid down his life so he could liberate you and me for all eternity. So the eternal destination that we were bound for has been changed through the cross. And now when you and I come to the cross and we acknowledge Christ and we receive him... I am not bound for hell, but now I get to be bound for heaven. You see, that's what Jesus, the truth of Jesus does. It liberates. So, the truth of Jesus, it infuriates, it liberates, and here's the third thing. The truth of Jesus separates. The truth of Jesus will separate. Starting in verse 34, Jesus Or actually, verse 33. It says, Pilate then went back inside the palace and summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? When he says, is that your own idea? It's like as if Jesus was saying, Pilate, I've just got to ask you, is this information a truth that you've learned because of personal experience or is someone talking to you? Have you personally ever seen me trying to upset your authority? Have you personally ever seen me trying to exert a kingship to assert Caesar's authority? Have you ever seen me personally trying to overthrow the government of Rome? Have you personally ever seen me do that? Or is someone talking to you? Jesus is like, I just want to know. And Pilate responds in verse 35. Am I a Jew? It is what your people and your chief peace have handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? When he says, am I a Jew? And he's he's responding this way. He's basically, he's just saying, I don't have enough time to worry about your guys' petty problems. But his answer reveals, I'm learning all this from them. I've never seen you do anything. I've never heard anything other than what they're saying. And what he's saying is, I truly do not find any evidence for you to die. But Pilate has a problem, and that problem is coming up. And so Jesus goes on in verse 36. He says, My kingdom is not this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but now my kingdom is from another place. Jesus is contrasting between the spiritual and the physical. He's contrasting it between his spiritual kingship and if he was an earthly king. Because he's talking about in the spiritual sense, I'm a spiritual king. And I'm not about the, 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 what's going on in, in between the Jews and the Romans right now. He goes, but if I was a physical king, everybody who's followed me would be taken over right now. But that's not who I am. He goes, I'm not about throwing down the the Roman government. I'm about establishing my father's kingdom. And so that's what he's talking about here. And then Pilate responds in verse 37. He says, you are a king then. And Jesus answered, and here's where we're getting to. He says, you are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this, I came into the world. And here it is, to testify to truth. Everyone on this side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate says, What is truth? Here's where the truth of Jesus separates. As soon as Jesus says, I came into this world for only one purpose to testify to the truth. What truth? He came to testify the truth about who God is, he came to testify about himself. He came to testify about the truth of his mission. He came to testify the truth about man and humanity. He came to testify the truth about sin and what sin has done to humanity. He came to testify about the truth of his doctrine that would be laid out in his word. He came to testify about all those truths. And in this moment, when he says to Pilate, I have come to testify about truth and everyone on this side of truth listens to me. That word testify means to speak, proclaim, or to give witness to. And Jesus says, I've only come to give witness and to proclaim and to speak one thing, and that is truth about who God is about, who I am about, what I've come to do. And then he says, everyone on this side of truth listens to me. The key there is when he says, listens to me. When he says those on this side of truth listen to me, he's not talking about just hearing. Like you read some words or you hear a message, you've heard, like people who have walked with Jesus, heard Jesus teach, and they're like, oh, that was good. And they just kind of like do their own little thing. When he's talking about people who listen to him, he's talking about people who hear what I say with attention. And then there's accompaniment action. It's hearing and doing. It's what James chapter 1, verse 22 says. James says, listen, don't merely listen to the word, meaning just hear it with your ears. Let it go in one ear and out the other, but do what it says. That's where Jesus is at. Jesus has always been here. Jesus is not about his followers just Hearing. With your ears. Well, I read my Bible today. I'm good to go. I went to church and heard a message. I'm good to go. And we just hear it with our ears, And but we live how we want. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Those people on this side of truth, meaning on my side, if you believe in me and you're on my side of truth, then you listen to me and you listen attentively and you take what I say and then you begin to walk in it. Here's where it separates Pilate. As soon as Jesus said those words, yes or no, Pilate had a decision to make. As soon as Jesus said, those on this side of truth, listen to me. He's saying to Pilate, Pilate, if you're on my side, if you're truly hearing me, Pilate, if you're truly listening to me, you're going to do the right thing. But Pilate, his hands are tied because he's got a crowd outside that he knows if I make the wrong decision, they're going to have my head. So I'm going to come up with an answer that's going to be so vague I can get out of this. Okay, I hear you, Jesus, but what is truth? I mean, really, I mean, can we really define what truth is? Is it no different than today? What is truth? We live in what is known as the postmodern era. That truth is not truth. Truth cannot really be defined. What we want to say is, well, truth is relative. Relative. It's subjective. It's situational. Truth is different for every person. My truth may not be your truth, and your truth may not be their truth, and their truth may not be his, and his may not be hers. Truth is whatever you want to make it to be. And the thing is, that's fine if you want to be in the world. But loved ones, here's the problem. That mindset is crept into the church. Because there are Christians who have enough belief in Jesus for like almost spiritual inoculation. But they live with the mindset: what is truth? There are people who sit in church on Sundays, get their gold star, get their check mark, get their spiritual fill. I believe in Jesus. I'm gonna sing a couple songs. I'm, I'm going to listen to my Bible being taught, and that's my my Jesus time. But we have too many Christians who who, we get our our Jesus on in church, but then we believe and act how we want. I I, want—I'm going to live how and do what I want. I'm going to talk how I want. The problem is, we're truly not on this side of truth. And this is where Jesus separates. Jesus' word, Jesus' truth, is not my truth. The truth of Jesus separates sheep and goats. It separates wheat and chaff. The truth of Jesus separates people who profess to be believers, profess to be followers of Christ, who know we're not perfect. Now, I said this last week. We all fail, don't we? I've said this a lot. None of us are perfect, right? The Bible even assures us that we're not perfect. The Bible makes it plain and simple. You are a sinner, and if you think you don't have sin, you deceive yourself. The Bible keeps telling us in the book of James listen, we all stumble in many ways. We are all there. We still sin. On this side of heaven, we're wrapped in flesh, we're going to sin. But the where it separates, the truth of Jesus separates, is the person who knows I'm not perfect, but they don't use that as a crutch. It's the person, that's the Christian who says, I know I'm not perfect. Man, I still fail, I still mess up. But here's the difference, as I said last week. When you fail, what we need to do is you get into the confession time. The person who is seriously on this side of truth with Jesus, listening to what he says and is trying to walk it out, what we are doing is when we fail, when we mess up, we screw up, we sin, man, we are with God, we are before the Father, and we're confessing that sin. We're not just going, eh, well, not a big deal. The difference here is, then this is where it separates, there are people who sin, who fail, who mess up, who, and they get it. They get it, and they're like, God, I don't want to be here. Holy Spirit, help me help me to be that, make that, because remember a a couple weeks ago I said the goal of our life is one thing. Do you remember what I said? To please the Lord, to bring him glory, to bring him honor, that we would be like, God, I want to be as Paul says in Romans 12, Father, help me to offer myself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. As Paul writes in, in the book of Colossians, he prays for the, the Colossians that they would bear fruit and they would please the Lord in every way. Shouldn't that be our heart's desire as a believer in Christ? But here's where the separation happens. You have those Christians who get it and they're trying, they're working out their salvation day after day, working it, wanting to be more like Christ, trying to be walk that road, listen to Jesus, do what Jesus says, versus the Christian who hears the word but shrugs it off. Eh, that was a good word. I'm glad I was in church today. That was, that was good. That was, I liked that. But there's no conviction. There's no change. Well, I'm still going to do what I want to do, though. I'm going to act like how I want to act. I'm going to talk like a. I... And the problem with that is this. What we have in the church, what we have are too many Christians who know what the Bible says, but they want to keep living contrary to what it says. And what is happening is we see Christians divorcing at the same rate as unbelievers. We see Christians who Whose mouths have not caught up with their confession. We have too many Christians who want to live together outside of marriage and pretend it's okay because we love each other. We have too many Christians who flippantly and blatantly disrespect any authority over them from their pastor to their bosses to the government. We have too many Christians who don't serve in any capacity in the church. We have too many Christians who don't give their money in any way because they keep it for themselves. We have too many Christians in churches agreeing with and aligning with the LGBTQ community saying that the Bible is wrong. We have too many Christians who all summer long, from April to basically September, spend not one Sunday worshiping Jesus because they're at a ball field every single Sunday. And I could probably just keep on going. Those are people who say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian, but don't tell me to change. I'm a Christian. I hear the word with my ear, but it's just going to go out the other one. I'm going to continue to live and do and act and talk how I want. And the problem is with these kind of Christians is when you talk to them, when you confront them, when you bring up the issue, that's when they get infuriated with you, and they will look at you and point their finger and say, don't you tell me how to live. My prayer is this, and I'm going to just close with this little thing right here. My prayer for this church is that this church would be full of people, not perfect by any means, but have a desire to keep progressing forward, to be like Paul in the book of Philippians when Paul... Paul's desire for his life was that he would live perfectly. Paul so badly wanted to live perfectly like Jesus. He wanted to live exactly like Jesus lived in every way. But here's one thing Paul understood. I can't get it done. Paul understood. He was like, man, he goes, I I keep trying to do what is right and I keep doing what is wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm mixing verses here. I'm going from Philippians to Romans. And Paul keeps talking about he's He says, I, I want to do the right thing, but I, I don't do it. And there's sin right there. He gets it. He knows he's still wrapped in this body of death. But back in Philippians, he says, the one thing I do, though, I forget about yesterday. I forget what I did yesterday. And I'm going to keep turning every day. And I'm going to keep pressing on to make that goal of perfection my own. Do you think Paul ever attained it? No. He never attained the perfection, but he had an attitude about perfection. And the attitude of his life was, I want to be like Christ. My prayer for this church is that we would be a church full of people who are not perfect, knowing you're not going to attain perfection, but your attitude would be one single thing. Your attitude would be in one single lane. And your attitude is this, I want to be like Christ. That your attitude would be when you fail, when you sin, when you blow it, when you mess up, when you just like you have your I'm going to do what I want moment. We all have those moments, don't we? I'm going to say what I want moment. I'm going to live how I want moment. We have those moments. But in that moment when you realize it and the Holy Spirit's bringing that conviction to your heart, and he's telling you, hey, you, can't, you stop living this way. Don't do this. Don't talk like that. Don't treat people like that. Here's how I want you to live. That in that moment, you'd be like, oh, God, forgive me. And you're, tra- and you're changing your course of your life, trying to live and be more like Christ. For some of you, that may take some radical changes in your life. Some of you are going to have to give up some things. Some of you are going to have to change some friendships. Some of you are going to may have to just do some things that, like, if this is, if this is what God is calling me to do, and I'm, it's not me calling you to do this. I hope I've just preached the word to you and have shown you in, in black and white, this is what Jesus tells us to do, and that we all would desire I want to live like Jesus. I want to do what I'm supposed to do and I want to walk away from what I'm not supposed to be like. I want to talk different. I want to act different. I want to love different. I want to be different. And man, I'm telling you, I'm standing up here. I've got so far to go, just like all of you. But I'm trying in my hardest to pray, Jesus, help me to be more like you. And when I fail, I'm trying to to confess as fast as I can. And loved ones, trust me, I'm failing just as much as you guys do. I'm not perfect just because I'm the pastor. And if you think I am, oh, please, you're going to be shot down like a plane coming down in flames. None of us are perfect. But what if we strive to just have that attitude to say, Jesus, help me to be more like you. And when I fail, Jesus, forgive me, help me to be more like you. And if you fail seven times in a day, seven times in a day, you're going to Jesus. Jesus, forgive me. Help me to be more like you. Jesus, forgive me. Help me to be more like you. So, if you would bow your heads with me, I'm going to close in a word of prayer here. But I just want to just speak over you just for a moment. I know this is a hard mess. This is a kind of message that's hard to preach and hard to hear. I don't take joy in, in these kind of messages. I wish I could just preach a feel-good, love-happy, joy-joy kind of message every Sunday, but there are times when you're going through the book of the Bible, you come to a message like this, and it's hard, hard to, to give, hard to receive. But my prayer is, is that as I have prayed, I, prayed three, I always pray these three things. Father, I pray you'll change minds, convict hearts challenge wills and i prayed my prayer is that maybe today maybe your mind's been changed today maybe god has shown you something in your life and you got to think differently about it and maybe the holy spirit's been convicting your heart about something and you know darn well what it is and now my prayer is that the holy spirit will challenge your will because you You've got to make the difference. You got to in your will, you got to make a change. And you got to say, "You know what? I will be more like Christ, and I will not allow this thing to cause me to be unlike Christ." So maybe this week the challenge of your will is that you got to make some major changes in your life. But only you can do that. Even God will not force you to do it. And I just pray, Father, that as we have gone through this message, that, Lord, if there is conviction happening in people's hearts right now, I pray that you've changed their minds and getting us to think differently. Convict us, Holy Spirit. Show us that there's an area in our life that we've got to get serious about. Lord, we may be professing that, yeah, I'm a believer, but, Lord, if we're living like, like a sinner throughout the week, Lord, we're, we're off. And I pray that you are bringing conviction on all of us. And I pray that you would challenge our wills and we would willfully make the change and say, I want to be different. I want to be more like Christ. So Father, I just thank you for the truth of your word. Jesus, thank you for your truth. And sometimes it's hard, but sometimes the hardness is necessary. And I pray that that change comes in all of our lives and that we could be that church. None of us are going to be perfect by any means, but Lord, we would be a church full of people saying, I want to be more like Christ in the way I talk, the way I act, the way I behave, the way I live, the way I treat people, everything. I want to be different. So, Father, we just thank you. We just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.